Hello and welcome to the Soil Health Hub podcast. In each episode, we invite key industry experts and farmers to explore and debate challenges, opportunities and innovations around soil health and its implications on farming. In this episode, we're exploring how to engage farmers, landowners and locals to improve soil health collaboratively. Our guest today, Jessica Nadd, is a dedicated soil health advocate with over a decade of experience in the food and farming industries. Jess is the executive director of a new non-profit called Great Plains Regeneration, which seeks to regenerate the vast Great Plains via collaboration with farmers, ranchers and stakeholders, and to mimic nature by using regenerative agriculture principles. Jess used to serve as an executive board member for Kansas State University Research and Extension. She also directs high-impact events like Soil Health U, advises consulting company Soil Regen, and is a speaker and soil advocate for Kiss the Ground. Jess describes herself as a row crop farmer and a navid gardener. She's passionate about growing her own fruits and vegetables, following regenerative practices. Tune in to hear the soil health discussion between Rob and Jess. Hi Jess, welcome to the Soil Health Hub. Uh, we're delighted to have you here today because uh, you're coming at soil health from a completely fresh angle. I'd love to get you today to help explore this and talk about why you're making a difference to the world of soil health. So Jess, what is soil health to you? Oh, that's a great question. So the definition that in the United States NRCS uses which is the soil's capacity to maintain a living system. So that's kind of a generalization of of the technical part of soil health. To me, soil health really is the land, the people, the planet, the animals. It's the medium that nourishes all of life. So that's, that's how I look at soil health right now. Um, yeah, and it's lots of different connections. So how did you get into this, Jess? What what was the motive to get involved with? Um, I believe you're a soil health advisor. So yes. What what yes. got you there? What got you here? <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Um, I think that a, about 10 years ago, having the very fortunate being in a position to move to a small town and understand a lot more about farming. Um, My husband and I operated an independent crop consulting business. He's an agronomist, I am not. Um, And just really understanding how farming works. So I think the first question in my mind was local food. Moving to a small town in Kansas, in the middle of the United States, not being from a small town, and looking around and really questioning, why is there not more fresh fruits and vegetables in my town? Where does the food come from? How does it get here? And we're farming all of these acres, yet we have to drive a very far distance to to access um, food. So that was really what uh, the conversation got started for me. And I started working within my community to build out local food systems. We had a CSA, there was a food co-op and um, eventually a farmer's market. What's a CSA just for the listeners? Yeah, that's called Community Supported Agriculture. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different frameworks for a CSA, but basically consumers like myself would purchase a share into a farming season and when you do that, you're, you're providing money to the farmer up front, and then they, in return, give you a weekly um, stipend of food. So what it does is that you assume that total season risk along with the producer to help them produce the food. That's a, like a commitment to buying 
not just um, you know maybe one day, perhaps a little bit tomorrow type of thing. I like that. Um, well, it's, it's, that's that's interesting. So, but what has soil health got to do with local food? And I think that's the direction where it got me because as I started asking these questions of why the food wasn't being produced, a lot of how conventional agriculture is done in the United States started to be the reasons why. Um, and so, in the United States, uh, particularly in the state of Kansas where I live, ninety percent of every single acre in Kansas is devoted to agriculture, which is great. But our average for producing food that we eat, specialty crops, is well below the national average of the rest of the United States because we have a monocrop system. Because farming is focused on corn and soybean rotation. Um, in Kansas, we also have wheat, cotton, um, sorghum. But for the most part, the, the crop rotations are not diverse. And so you're not seeing a lot of these um, alternative cropping systems being introduced. So that's that was kind of the beginning. My first thought was we should all be that, organic. And that's because of the soil couldn't grow these other crops or because they just weren't profitable? I think that it was both. They the, the commodity systems in the United States really keep producers growing the, the top crops because they have mm. a risk um, mitigated for them through crop insurance. And so to go outside of the commodity systems is very risky for a producer and it's hard to make those decisions. It's kind of a long story, but um, when you start to think about the soil's capacity to sustain our life, when we're just monocropping corn and soy production and kind of the big agriculture way of farming, we're not feeding people. When I thought that the answer was organic farming and I started asking questions why we didn't have more organic farms in Kansas. There's a lot of reasons why we don't, and there's still a lot of reasons why we don't. But I stumbled upon renegade farmers in my area who, who were farming for the soil. And that was just like a huge, huge moment for me. They were kind of renegades. They were reducing their inputs. They were um, not tilling the soil. And they had really messy fields filled with all of these different, what I, you know, initially you think of as weeds. So that was, that was really the moment is when I started to meet farmers that were doing something different. And I thought to myself, I need to learn everything I can about this system. And I need to figure out a way to um, encourage more people to adopt. At the time, we just called it soil health. It was just soil health. Although I guess different crops need different types of health in that soil. Trying to grow carrots in a high organic matter crop is not very successful. I speak with personal experience from my garden. So yeah, soil health to the crop is also key, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. And I think that when we got down into the nuts and bolts and I started attending educational sessions and attending conferences and going out on my own with just this almost hell-bent passion to try to figure out how to farm differently, uh, that's what I found, that if you can get the biology right in the soil, you can start to sustain many, many different levels of crops, many different levels of profitability structure, and you're going to be sequestering carbon. You're going to be increasing your soil organic matter, increasing your water infiltration rate. And it really is a benefit 
to everybody. It's a benefit to the producer, but it's a, a benefit to the land and the people too. I think you should be a politician and sort them all out because there's a lot going <laughs> on there. You threw everything in one pot altogether, including the good old carbon sequestration conversation. So congratulations on that. I think what's fascinating where you're going is how you're really bringing the people, the public, the hardworking souls out there that buy the food that farmers produce with you on this. I'm really interested in that because there are some great opportunities here in developing soil health. And that's why we created the Soil Health Hub to really explore and debate this. But what you're doing that's different is really bringing people with you. Talk us through some of those things there. And also, I hear you're part of um, Kiss the Ground, that phenomenal film, movie, Call It What You Like, came out last September. I'd like to hear about that as well. So basically how you're connecting with people and the difference you're making there to their lives and how they're thinking about it. Because you alone is not going to do this, are you? It's the infectious thinking that you have and how you do that. Yeah, it's about building that mycelium network of, of people. My undergraduate work was in social science of diversity. And that was, you know, I don't have a farming professional background in that sense. And I knew from other work that I've done in other industries that the most powerful thing we can do to create change is to create connections. And if we want to change a broad spectrum of ideas and locations and people everybody needs to be at the table. So initially when I fell in love with the soil, went down the rabbit hole, whatever you want to call it, my initial thought is that I needed some sort of certification. I should go back to school. I should be a microbiologist, all these things. And it was the introduction to the Kiss the Ground Soil Advocacy Training that made me realize I have all the skills within myself already through leadership, through connection, through um, communication to be a part of the soil health movement. Movement and to be able to facilitate conversations, but also support farmers and ranchers. Probably the biggest thing that I've learned through this whole process is that supporting people, encouraging people, and being able to be that connector of information is the absolute best way to drive change. Give me an example of how you've connected with people to build that mycelium people network. I love that, by the way. I might name that one. You know, not quite 10 years ago when I was living in the small town of, in Kansas, uh, the first thing that we did was created a farmer's market and it was a producer driven farmer's market in the downtown area. And we started coupling the farmer's market with uh, local food lectures. So I was bringing in these people that had this interest of growing food and selling food. And I was connecting them to the local consumers that we were trying to promote for the farmer's market. So that was really the, the beginning stages of the work that I was doing. From there, just being encouraged uh, by my husband and also owning a consulting company, I decided to become an independent soil health content consultant. And I've worked for a number of different companies, big companies, startup companies. And what I really excel at is that 101 conversation of soil health and that 101 conversation of regenerative agriculture. Not everybody has to have the technical knowledge that you know, a farmer or an agronomist or a microbiologist or a soil scientist has, but how do we think about soil health in terms to where as a consumer and as a mom, I'm going to the grocery store and I'm thinking about the foods that I'm purchasing and I'm, I'm putting my money where my mouth is and I'm doing the things that can help drive change. 
So a couple other things that I do is large scale event planning. I do um, an event called Soil Health You in Kansas, which is farmer led, farmer driven and farmer and rancher attended. And then also working as the executive director for Great Plains Regeneration. I have a lot of different things that I get to do with that organization um, that we just launched this year. So it sounds like you're actually getting people to not only uh, love it, but also pay to be part of it. Unleashing that is the golden goose, isn't it, for the industry? It's very technical. And um, we've covered all the technical elements in the Soil Health Hub from a from a podcast perspective. And and yet, I guess if people don't understand it, and actually, I mean, I mean, understand it, is have a, a positive view about it, so much so that they're prepared to pay to even go to one of your events and listen and learn, then, then we're never going to get anywhere. So... What you're doing, I think, is the really crucial part for the entire industry to really understand. And so the thought of um, people contributing to their local farms to continue to farm like that, even if they're not producing a crop they might not want to eat, they can't eat because it's not a vegetable. It could be something that goes further away because that's the nature of the farming industry. We can't grow everything on our doorstep and something's going to have to move around. Obviously, where they can be grown locally, they should be. We opened a farm shop on our farm in 1990 and we started farmers markets in the mid-90s, very similar time, very shortly after the US because you invented it. But and, and then for the same reasons, but obviously within the range of things you grow, you've got to be working with other farms there's always going to be this wider network that does exist but but localize where correctly it can be done and as you say based on the soil health but to get people to pay uh to be part of this because they support it has so much potential it also bypasses the politicians and the bureaucrats what's the next step here because you've started this and um i believe you had a a party i mean this has got to be the, the first soil health party i've ever heard of which you actually raise money for soil health. So I've certainly never heard of that before. Uh, You know, it's probably a first, but who knows? What do you think your disciples, uh, your evangelists that that are buying into you and the thinking you've got here, what what are they going to go and do with it? Will they walk into the store and go, actually, I need to know where that's from now? Will they get it at a different level? Yes. The outcome of what we're trying to do right now is increasing the nutrient density of the food that people are eating. And when we start to break it down, when we look at the grocery store, and this is coming from the heart as a mom and a wife and somebody who is the nourisher of my family, it's so amazing that by supporting soil health, I actually can make changes in the way that food is grown. And I can make changes to big food companies and go out there and say, hey, listen, and we really, we're demanding this type of food. We're demanding soil health. So you're right. We threw a huge party last weekend. We threw um, a fundraising event for the nonprofit that I co-founded with a group of farmers and ranchers. And we are being fiscally sponsored by a group that works on water conservation and watershed work. And so we threw a food, water, soil, live music, kiss the ground film party. Um, And in light of COVID, that was an incredibly stressful thing to do. The outcome of that, throwing a party for soil, what we did is we did a ton of civic engagement. We were going to the university that's in that town. We had gone to the city. We had gone to the county. We had gone to local farmers markets, grocery stores. And I would say that we had a, a good representation of consumers in the room. And I had so many people come up to me 
some even emotional about the soil saying, I had no idea. I had no idea that number one, the soil was in trouble. And number two, I could do something to help, which is the way that I felt almost 10 years ago when I realized that as a mom and as, as a you know professional consultant, I could get out there and affect real change. Think about how we talk about climate change right now. How have we been talking about climate change for the last decade? We've been using words like fight. We're going to get rid of climate change. It creates anxiety in language. Rebellion, extinction. It's it's rebellion. It sounds like a war. Me as a mother with somebody who's looking at my three little babies and the world that I want to bring them up into. What if I could do something that helped create solutions for climate change and help create climate solutions that weren't starting a huge war, the war on climate, the war on X, Y, Z. People like myself, maybe it's women, I don't know, we think differently. And so when the Soul Health Movement came out, I think that's going to accelerate some of these climate initiatives way faster than what's been done before. Let's get rid of the war language. Yes, we need to be mad as hell. Yes, we need to be um, out there using our money to be able to make changes, whether it's at the grocery store, supporting nonprofits, you know, attending conferences, whatever the case might be. But for me, that was the real aha moment, knowing that I didn't have to be a worn, torn military fighter. That's not me. That's not who I am. That's not how I make change. Um, I support and I advocate and, you know, people in my shoes, we're pretty tough too. Like we're going to get the point across Um, But it's going to be in a way that we bring in a lot more people into the movement than trying to start a war. The easiest way to get a reaction is to scare people. And the metaphor for that is if you point a shotgun or a gun at somebody, then they're going to do something. But the further away that gun is to you, the less they'll do. Ultimately, they'll do nothing because it's out of range. Whereas desire is like a tunnel with a light at the end of that tunnel. And the closer you get to it, the more you want it. It's It's the opposite to the gun. So desire which is what you're creating is absolutely what we're talking about here it's absolute breath of fresh air to hear you put it in this context and i hadn't thought of it like that and i think that's a really fresh way of looking at it nothing is long term by shouting and being angry at people it simply just has a has an immediate reaction it's hard really hard to create desire. That's what we did with uh, forming Great Plains Regeneration. We really looked at it through the lens of the heart and the work that my team of co-founders and my team of board members, um, we spent a lot of time on our visioning and our mission. And um, one of our advisors, Ray Archuleta, came up with this definition. So I'll give full credit to him. He says, regenerative agriculture is a renewal of the heart and the mind that transforms farming and ranching. It's a conscientious agriculture that prioritizes the health of the soil and mimics nature's patterns and its architecture. So we're looking to form a collaborative relationship between nature and humans, which results in the things we talked about earlier, carbon drawdown, improved water cycling, um, and even, even profitability on the farm, which is key. I think that's wonderful. I love it. Something I've been talking about for a lot of this year, where we've got other technologies in the agriculture industry, such as traceability systems and new digital ways to, to, to share and engage with people. Can you see a way where the, the general public are actually the judge and jury of what is good farming? Could you see that happening? And therefore, they have become, in a democratic way, the custodians of what is good farming. 
It's very interesting. Yes. I think that just in referencing, you know, when does the consumer start to call more shots and actually guide the way that farming's done? I think we are starting to see that. And I think we're starting to see that with um, the the CPG food companies and the companies that are being forced to change their supply chain. Three to four years ago, when we were doing this kind of work, there was maybe one or two food companies in the United States, even thinking about regenerative, probably had sustainable, obviously had organic. But now I would say that if there was any sort of CPG food company, even textiles, apparel, et cetera, that do not have a regenerative focus or do not have some sort of regenerative mission statement, then they are way behind the curve because it is already happening. Consumers are demanding it. Moms and dads are demanding it. Restaurants are demanding it. I mean, the event, the party that we threw last week, we were sponsored by multiple food companies. Uh, Quinn Snacks and um, Simple Mills were just two off the top of my head. So from a salt house perspective, this is just the beginning, isn't it? And um, Mm -hmm. because once you have a little bit of information, you want more. This is a, a journey. This isn't just a split second, that's it. You know, go away and go back to your real life. There's a wonderful story, if you're interested in history, of a guy called William Tyndall from the 16th century. He's the guy that translated the Bible into English. And um, he was hunted down. The the church hated him because they were changing the Mm -hmm. Bible from Latin and Hebrew into English. And it coincided at the same time with a new technology called the printing press. It took him 16 years to translate it. And actually, he was also burned at the stake for heresy. So he didn't didn't turn out well for poor William. But the point is, once everybody had a Bible in their house, they didn't need to ask the church of what their interpretation was of the Bible. And I guess potentially this is what we could be talking about here. Because as people start to buy into this and believe in it, and they'll start to make their own interpretation of the rules and arguably create their own rules. It's an interesting story. We are coinciding technology, the advancement of tech, particularly all kinds of very clever camera, um, all kinds of digital traceability systems. Combine that with a democratic way for the people to help us decide. We could perhaps look at food in a very different way, all led by food products that people love buying and they pay with their money, their hard-earned money. They, they do that. The consumer is very powerful to make change. But I also think that farmers and ranchers have a show me mentality. So you were asking a little bit earlier about what's the big impact? What do we see that's recurring at the farm level? And I, I think field trials is one of the biggest um, ways that we can help producers. They, seeing is believing. And when you're able to take a large plot and, and you know, you know, formulate your study or do whatever you're going to do and then get farmers and ranchers out to the field days, digging soil pits, um, doing the, the soil health water demos. That's the way that we make these changes. What Great Plains Regeneration aims to do is, is get everybody at that event, get everybody watching and learning about the soil. And that's that's how change is really going to be made right now. What has happened in the United States is too much prescriptive farming. XYZ farming, chemical program farming, herbicide, pesticide, et cetera. We need to be farming through a systems approach. Well, I, I went to agricultural university. It was actually a college at the time, but then I called them universities. So I'm not trying to be cleverer than I am. And we, I remember the lectures would say, you need this much nitrogen, you buy that nitrogen, you apply it, it'll cost you yeah. that, it'll make you that. And that's what you should, that's the profit. And that was it. You know, it literally was sort of pull these levers, order that, it will be delivered. And then you then put it on and off you go. That's a 70 year, not that I'm 70 years old, but it's, it's a 70 years of, of industry, including your husband as an agronomist, mm-hmm. I suspect would have been trained 
to what our chems to apply to solve a problem. This unraveling of this new algorithm that we've got to use to farm differently is what we're talking about. But the challenge we have, and it's significant, is that if it becomes really sexy, the big guys will really get into it. And that's fine. But what? how will they get into it? And what will that mean? And the danger of a protocol that is really prescriptive, once you get to that protocol, you've done it. So basically, the lowest common denominator, that's the biggest, will win. That's always the problem with protocols. Why I'm, I'm going with this is that your um, brilliant route of getting the people to decide, which is always going to be, how much better can it be? It's not about meeting a minimum standard. And that will also help the wider industry, the smaller players as well, the smaller farmers, to always keep moving things forward. But to get my point, if you, if you have a, a baseline, that only then the next race would be how much capital you've got and access to resources as such. And that will leave the little guys out of the game very quickly. Yes. And that will happen. That's the same for us in the UK. And it's the same for you in North America. But actually, more importantly, um, with those protocols comes a lot of costs that need to be monitored. And, and um, if the general public are the monitoring system, who pay to monitor? Yeah. And that- we need to have you know, the profitability and the financial case studies are going to be key on this. And you mentioned, what are the big guys going to do? I've already taken um, discovery calls that the new language is the products aren't going to be a fit for the future of farming, all the products. So how do we shift from products to services? So I already see that happening. I think that's what's going to happen. But you're definitely key about that. If we reduce down to the lowest common denomination of soil health, we will have reduced the systems approach of farming and we will be creating a new prescription. So we just, don't want to. Exactly. We'll just be going repeating with a different name. Yes. Yeah. And, and maybe and that's what the big companies want us to do. Maybe they want it to be a wash, rinse, repeat. Well, because uh, procedures and protocols work. That's the, that's the world. And um, but nature doesn't work that way. And farming no. doesn't work that way. And 70 years of putting in this system have really proven disastrous. I live in Kansas. Kansas is the home of the Dust Bowl. Um, you know, there's a lot of history there. And there are parts of Kansas that are desertifying as we speak. And if we don't make changes, we could be in a huge nightmare of bringing back this dustful situation that we thought that we fixed back in the 1930s. But it is it is still happening today. So we need to be paying attention. And every area of the world, I suspect, has a different version of that for different reasons. It's been really interesting hearing from you because you are onto something so important. Getting the heart to work first from people's passion for this is going to be the future. The logic and the head will follow as well. And it isn't just some sort of crazy idea. It's actually meaningful and, and, it, and it's the future. But um, getting the general public to fall in love with this idea is going to transform the world in so many ways. So from us as the industry to you, thank you. Let's watch this with uh, and actually take part in it as much as possible to support you, because everybody listening, because this is a really exciting area. You will be able to get hold of Jess in the footnotes of the podcast or everything there, including more information about Kiss the ground if you're interested in that thoroughly recommended it's a really brilliant organization and a big fan of it and they've done a tremendous job of uh, putting something that is relatively routine to a lot of people into the into the mainstream jess thank you again from everybody at the soil health hub and uh, good luck with your mission it's a fantastic thing to do thank you rob it was my pleasure and let's regenerate let's do it thank you Our hashtag <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to the soil health hub podcast If you'd like to learn more and join us, visit SoilHealthHub.com. See you next time.